It's the TEH Podcast, episode 115. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. Good afternoon, Gary. How's life in Denver? It's smoky. Really? Very smoky. Yeah, we have more fires. Well, we have our existing fires that keep burning and more getting added to it. And the air quality is pretty low. um, And it smells really smoky out there. You need some of our weather. It's been uh, uh, rainy, rainy, rainy for the last, uh, I'll say, week. Um, everything is is moist, <laughs> to put it that way. And um, now they're predicting that the things are going to start getting colder by the end of the week. So we may have our first frost over the weekend. Oh, yeah, we're definitely expecting one later this week. Right now, as I talk to you, the mm-hmm. air quality index at my current location is 154, which is unhealthy. I was going to say... Yeah, don't they start raising alarms at 100 or something like that? Yep, that's right. So I'm there. I mean, it all depends where the smoke plume uh, from uh, two of our, uh, well, the closest fire and the biggest fire, which is a little further away, mm-hmm. where that's going. I mean, it goes clear across the country. You know, it's, it's right. hitting the Atlantic from Colorado. Right. But, you know, it, so you can imagine if it's go, can go that far in just the first 100 miles, it's pretty thick. Um yeah, it's actually, I think it's pretty clear out, but you couldn't tell. It looks cloudy. We, uh, um, yeah, and the only reason I'm familiar with the air quality numbers is because of the smoke that we had over the summer. We had fires. The fires in California were sending some of their stuff up this way. And we, uh, due to the usual confluence of, you know, weather conditions, it, uh, it really started to impact our area in, a, in an unhealthy and unusual way. And we all learned about air quality index and what the bad numbers are and so forth. Yeah. So, so last week, and actually the week before, I mentioned that I was taking a break from Facebook. That break continues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm dropping in every once in a while. I'm. I'm still. um, I'm. You know, if you've got the opportunity on a website to share something to Facebook, that's the kind of stuff I've done a couple of times. So I'm actually putting things out on Facebook, and then not looking at my newsfeed. I think that's the important mm-hmm. thing. I'm just not looking at my newsfeed. And of course, I've, I'm posting some things automatically to ask Leo and not all news is bad and so forth. But um, it's funny because I mentioned that to my readership and I mentioned it actually a couple of times to my readership. And then I mentioned it last week. And I think after we, were, we finished recording yesterday or last week, um, I think you asked me if I had seen the, the uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma, and mm-hmm. which a point I said, well, no, um, mostly because I was depressed enough already <laughs> um, yeah. with, with what was going on in social media. But I honestly didn't think that uh, it would really tell me a whole lot that I didn't really already know at some gut level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, in fact, I was concerned that things might be somewhat over, uh, over-dramatized or over-sensationalized. Mm. But... I took one for the team. I did my homework. <laughs> and over the course of two days on my elliptical, I did indeed watch The Social Dilemma. And um, I found it interesting. So oh. you actually indicated last week to me, again, off, 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 off the air, so to speak, yeah. um, that, uh, that you had watched it and had formed opinions that you had not shared with me because you didn't want to prejudice my, uh, my mm-hmm. entry into the, to the documentary. Uh, now, 
share. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I avoided watching it. Uh, it. Since you you kind of summarized your recent social media use, I should do mine too. Most of 2019, I, I decided not to post as much anymore to Facebook. Um, just, you know, in the interest of like, why should I share more of my stuff with Facebook? So I posted only a few major things that happened. Um, and so 2019, I took off. 2020, I actually decided I was going to get in touch with more people. I was going to post more often. And we're talking the personal side here, right? The, the, yeah, personal. personal per, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about the business side. Yeah. So I decided 2020, um, I was going to post more and just, just put myself out there more. So old friends or distant friends, you know, could know what I'm up to and maybe it would make me more social in general. I failed at that. I failed at that before the pandemic. Like I, we got to the pandemic and I still hadn't posted very much, even though it was supposed to be my thing that like every evening I should think, is there something I could post to Facebook? And unless there's a good reason not to, I should post something. And I just didn't do it. And then when the pandemic started, I said, I really need to do it because, you know, now this is like, you know, a lot of other social channels have been cut off because of the pandemic. So I should use the online ones, but I still failed to do it. And I think I pretty much am on track to post just as little in 2020 as I did in 2019. <laughs> now my consumption is has remained constant, which is not much. Um, a typical day, may I may check Facebook once, usually in the evening when I'm not working when maybe I, there's a commercial break on a TV show I'm watching or something like that. And I'll scroll through just to see if any people I know have anything important to say, like something's happened to them. Or uh, I have several people who are more the photography-minded or you know, artistic-minded that may post a creation online, and I like to see those. And I'd say all of 2019, all of 2020, it's been about the same. Maybe that once a day with occasional skips, so maybe five times a week. And I, I don't, it doesn't seem like any algorithm is, is, has gotten a hold of me to do any more than that, um, which, is, which is good, I guess. Now, enter the movie. So the movie comes up, and you and I are much more informed about social media and what it is, where it came from, what it does, how it works, than most people. And I suspect our listener is as well. Now, our, our, our listeners are as well, also more informed. I mean, you're listening to a podcast, so probably more informed than the general population. So what I started to hear about this Netflix movie was that people watched it and then they'd be like, I had no idea. I didn't know Facebook was manipulating me like this. I'm closing my Facebook account. I'm putting my phone down. I'm doing whatever um, because this is outrageous and the government needs to do something, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so in other words, it was. I was like, "Wow, they they must be making some pretty outrageous claims in here for people to be reacting so much." Or perhaps people just really didn't even think about the things I take for granted. That of course, Facebook is going to try to show you the things you're most likely to want to react to, and of course, it's going to try to target ads to you and what you've liked and not liked in the past. To me, I've just always known that. But apparently, a lot of people didn't, and this movie has woken them up to it, which is a good thing in general, although I think maybe they got a little more alarmed than they needed to, maybe because, you know, maybe if you don't have the information that this is how social media works, and suddenly you get that information, maybe it is kind of alarming, and the only reason that I'm not as alarmed is because I kind of 
so, you know, I mean, when Facebook was doing that and one percent of the population used Facebook, it didn't seem like a big deal. So, so I've I I found the movie to be a bit of a a, a letdown in a good way, <laughs> in right. that it wasn't as big a deal as I thought. But then I also had some problems with it because as somebody who teaches people how to use computers, we both are, when I see a movie like this, I think, okay, a lot of people are going to be watching this that don't know much about computers, how the internet works, how social media works and all of that. And they're going to get this information and how will they feel after they've seen this information, not knowing all the things that I know and you know. And I instantly came to the conclusion that they may – Oh, you know, I don't know. See this as as a bigger deal than it really is. So, you, you know what I'm saying? I like, do, I do. Yeah, it, it it echoes a lot of my own feelings for sure. Yeah. So, you know, I want to first start off by saying that you know the movie pre- presents social media as it's it. This is a problem. There's a problem here, right? People using social media too much, relying on it too much, and social media is manipulating us too much. And I want to say yes. There is a problem. <laughs> I'm not going to deny that there's a problem. Right. You know, there certainly is one. It's kind of the level of magnitude uh, that the movie presented it as. And also, some of the ways it presented it were kind of outrageous. Right. So, um, I felt that, for first of all, I expected it to be very different. I thought it was going to be much more like uh, an inconvenient truth kind of thing. Well, there's going to be lots of facts and figures and scientists and you know things I'm, like that. I'm embarrassed to say that I've actually never seen an inconvenient oh, okay. truth. <laughs> it's been a long time. So, but you know, like I thought this was going to hit me over the head with numbers, right? You know, like this this million many million people are addicted, and it's 53 percent are this, and uh, you know stuff. And it was pretty much devoid of that. Right. Which so all of the stuff that was talked about, most of it was anecdotal, and of course some of it. A lot of it was fictional. Dramatized. Because <laughs> it was yes. a dramatization. So, you know, the, and the dramatization was not like, here's a real story from a real family. and We've hired actors to play them. No, it's here's a story we've made up to dramatize some of this. Yep. So that, that uh, you know, let's start talking about that. The, the drama was overly dramatic. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, first of all, like, um, like a small part, you know, it was a family. So you had a tween girl in middle school i assume you had a teen boy in high school and then an older sister that i gather was either maybe a senior in high school something Something like like that that. in that age that age range for sure yep yeah so you know the first thing you're hit with is the tween of course posts a picture of herself to social media uh, maybe an instagram kind of service and uh everybody comments how cute she looks except one person happens to mention something about her ears and then for the next five minutes, we constantly see her looking at her ears in the mirror and all that stuff. And yeah, that happens. Definitely happens. Yep. But it also happened before. You know, it's this. It didn't invent this. Um, tweens were always overly concerned about what other people said, and I would imagine that there's no escaping it. Like, I mean, before social media, it definitely happened enough that it. You see, it only has ha- something like that only has to happen once. Like it only has to, you know, you go into school one day, and there's always going to be the one person that's going to want to put you down. Right. Right. 
And so you're always going to get that one thing said negative about even if a lot of other people say positive and then you obsess about it. And I think that happens to all tweens. But of course, it's presented here as in like, oh, this this is a unique thing that's happening now that kids are posting their pictures to Instagram. Now, should parents you know, discourage their kids from posting pictures of themselves on Instagram? Of course. Should kids you know, learn more about, you know, how to deal with these kind of things, of course. But, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it's an example of stuff overly dramatic. But the the teen, the slightly older brother, boy, he really has a story arc because, <laughs> I mean, so he starts off where he says he doesn't even need to use his phone and be on uh Facebook apparently, although you know they don't name the service. They actually, don't name the names for the for the yeah, dramatization yeah. parts. They actually don't yeah. name names. Yeah, right. so it's a Facebook like service. He doesn't need to be on it, so he goes like three days without it, um, and then he gets back into it simply because Facebook decides to show him a picture of his ex girlfriend who is now dating somebody else, and he instantly becomes depressed and obsessed, where he stays up all night long looking at, I guess, her feed to try doom, to doom scrolling would be the, the, yeah. tour, doom the scrolling term now, yes. her in. Yeah. And then in the midst of that get suggested other videos that basically, well, just to put it bluntly, radicalize them into some sort of, right. I guess, right wing, uh, you know, hate group. And, you know, you see this happen over the rest of the movie. And I thought, Boy, that is, I mean, if you're going to pick out, like, you have, okay, we have one example of a teen. Uh, what are we going to have him do? Let's have him get radicalized. Right. <laughs> you know, it right. definitely happens, right? You can't yes. say it. that stuff doesn't happen. But I, if you're going to have one example. I think, well, so here's the problem. Um, with, with, I actually have a meta problem with his story arc, but to focus yeah, yeah. on what, what you've just described, um, the problem is that. Uh, and we run into this all the time, just in technology in general, something happens to somebody's computer and right away they think they've been hacked. Why do they think they've been hacked? Well, it's because that's what the media presents. That's how the media mm. gets their attention. Mm -hmm. So everybody thinks that they are, you know, I mean, the, the, if anything happens on their computer, they're, they're under like constant attack from these malicious uh, actors who want to break into their specific computer and cause them specific problems. So when something, do something doesn't work right, they think that's what's happened. In reality, that's only the view of the media, the, 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 the news. Why is it news? because it's out of the ordinary, right? If it were mm -hmm. normal, it'd be boring. And I think that's what the, the, um, uh, the producers of this documentary were faced with, with the dramatization part. If they actually showed what is likely to happen, it'd be boring, right? right. It wouldn't make for a good story. Very Whereas well if, put, yes. if, they, if they pick something that is sensational. Well, why is it sensational? It certainly gets people's attention, but why is it sensational? Because it's news, because it's not the average, because it is out of the ordinary. And that's the kind of stuff that gets people's attention and gets them to watch the whole thing. That actually brings up one of the biggest complaints I have, or at least observations. I won't even call it a complaint because in some ways it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. um, they talk throughout this uh, documentary about the various techniques that uh, Facebook and other social media, let's face it, it's 80% about Facebook. It's the, what, the various techniques that social media uses to grab your attention and keep your attention. 
And they do that by using various techniques to grab your attention and keep your attention. In other words, the documentary itself uses many of the very same techniques. (laughs) Nice. Which I found, um, I won't even say hypocritical, because like I say, in some ways, it's inevitable. This is how you tell a story. This is how you get your ideas across. But they actually sidestep the fact that, well, yeah, this is how you tell a story. This is how you get your ideas across. This is what we do in our video. This is what people who produce content on Facebook and on YouTube and on Instagram and so forth, this is what they're all doing, because that's how you tell a story, and that's how you get your point across. Good point. Yes. And another you know part of this and the way they show it is they they're trying to get across the point that the platforms like facebook are using algorithms and they ju- they make the easy jump from algorithm to artificial intelligence saying that you know they're basically one and the same thing and then they personify the Artificial intelligence That's by presenting what drove you with me up the wall. Yeah, so they present you with a control room. By the way, with, we we need to stop real quick and say for anybody that hasn't watched the social dilemma. Yeah. Spoilers. Yeah. So you know, just, it's not the kind you know it's not the kind of movie where it's like, damn, you spoiled the plot for me. No, but, but there, you know, there are specific things that we are going to talk about or have been talking about. Yeah, you may want to just watch it first and then first, come back. Yeah. But anyway. Th- yeah, so they, they, they do this control room. Okay. Right. And in the control room, they place three individuals who are actually played by the same actor, right. which was kind of smart because it does tell you that, hey, these aren't real people, right? This is like something going on inside the computer, inside the network. And so these three people there are talking with each other while they're in front of all these controls and all these screens. Yep. And they are talking about how to grab this kid's interest. Oh, he hasn't been on, you know, on the service for three days. What can we show him? What will bring him back? You know, that kind of thing. Right. You know, uh, don't show him any more sports scores. He doesn't like those, you know. And, and then, then they finally say, and, and I kind of like this, it's funny. They said, you know, there's this person that he liked every single thing that she posted for like six months and then suddenly stopped liking, stopped even paying attention to her. Why don't we show her again? Now, of course, as soon as you hear that, you're like, oh, that was his girlfriend and he broke and they broke up. Right. Okay. And of course, the network doesn't know what that means. It's just, right. you know, using the algorithm. So it's like, let's show something from her. And of course, the thing they show is that she's in a new relationship, which is, you know, very convenient for the dramatization. That's such a you know big thing was like right there for them to show, but uh, but they make it really seem like these three people are humans, you know, artificial intelligences of some sort that are making these decisions and trying to target the you know this person, and that really made it seem very sinister. So. One of the, again, you and I struggle with this concept all the time, mm. is that many people, uh, the, the less technically astute people, have, a, have trouble with the line between, um, I'll just call it intent and algorithm, right? Mm. The, the, very often when somebody has a complaint about about Microsoft or about Facebook or about whatever technology they're struggling with. They say, this person made this decision to piss mm-hmm. me off, right? I mean, it's, it, they take it very personally and they assign the blame very personally. So 
individuals, I think, have a, have a very difficult time understanding what it means to be an algorithm, what it means to be an algorithm running on a piece of hardware that, that is not human. So again, to tell the story, it kind of sort of makes sense to have this personification of the algorithm. But my concern is with the way that they left it, or certainly the way they presented it, I am convinced that this will have fed somebody's perception that there are real people making real decisions about what they as an individual are seeing on Facebook. Mm, yeah, and, yeah. and that's obviously, that's just not how it works. It doesn't, I mean, for, for one thing, it doesn't scale. <laughs> but again, that's one of those things where people have a, have a real tendency to think that they're special, right? I mean, they, of course, Facebook is paying attention to what I am looking at. I'm sure that they have at least three individuals assigned to curating my feed because <laughs> I am important. That's not how it works, but that is how it was portrayed, at least at the very meta level. And, and that was my, my, biggest, my biggest problem with his story arc, besides the fact that it was um, out of the ordinary, is that it was presented in this way that unfortunately many people will misconstrued as an accurate rather than a metaphor representation of what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And or just simply that the AI is that advanced that it really is like those three people and they're really it's very sinister and they're right. after you and that it's not just simple algorithms. I mean, they even went as I think they took it. They took it too far, I think, with that whole metaphor there. But the then they went they went way too far when they even had one of the three say, hey, do you ever think this might be actually bad for the subject here? And it's like, well, where did that even come from? Who let that line in the script slip through? Because that's got nothing to do. Algorithms you know, don't have values. Right? Exactly. And, and then also, you know, when you know about algorithms and you're a computer person, you also have to look at like, what's the alternative? So if Facebook were to actually show you something that's, you know, exactly what you want to see, like an important post by somebody in your life, right? And that's like the top post on Facebook. You can go and say, wow, Facebook figured out that I'd want to see this first. Well, what's the alternative? That Facebook doesn't show you that or that Facebook shows you that like way far down? You know, it's like, isn't that what you're logging on to see is like, you know, so it's like, oh, you know, shame on Facebook for, for showing me the stuff that I most want to see, but, uh, but Facebook better show me the stuff I most want to see. <laughs> so, well, let's, let's, let's clarify a couple of things because this concept of what you most want to see is, is not black and white. And I think yeah. that that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Uh, when you, uh, and in fact, personally, I struggle with it, right? I, I went on Facebook and I created, uh, you could, at one point you could create what are called lists. Yes. And then you could view a timeline that was comprised of only those posts by people and pages on your list. Um, it basically sidestepped the algorithm. Facebook has since made it very difficult to, to do that. You can't even do it on your mobile device anymore. But um, it was one way of, of achieving what I think a lot of people would would tell you that they prefer. What, what I mean by that is most people will tell you, I want to follow these people. Show me what these people post in chronological order and quit screwing around with the timeline, right? Mm -hmm. That's not how Facebook's algorithm works. We know that. They try and infer not even necessarily what you want, 
but what you will react to, what mm. you are most likely to click on. And that is something well, that'll keep think, you there too. Yeah. That that's something that I think the documentary actually got right is that yes, the algorithm, such as it is, is is biased towards keeping you engaged. That's exactly. really yeah. all it is. It's keeping you engaged. It's not a value judgment. It's not left or right. It's not good or bad. It's not this or that. It's simply, how do you react? Let's give you more things to react to that we know you'll react to. And in a sense, people are then saying, you know, yeah, I want to follow, I want to see what these people post, the, 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 the list of people that are my friends that I've, that I've followed and so forth. But on the other hand, they're also saying, well, I also want this stuff. And it's not an explicit, this is what I want. It's an implicit based on their behavior. And that's where things get so incredibly fuzzy because all of a sudden they're showing you things that you didn't ask for explicitly, but you kind of sort of asked for by your behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so uh, again, it's the kind of thing that it's not surprising at all to you or me, but now if it's new to somebody, and you know they basically had it as like you know this is this is extremely evil right you know here's a new concept and it's extremely evil instead of you and i who already were like here's a new concept and it's kind of neutral but can be used for a little bit of evil right <laughs> you know um so there's that uh there were a bunch of other things in the movie that the movie touched on uh one was oh first i, I just gotta get this out of the way i'm sick of the the saying, if you're not the customer, you're the product. Okay. <laughs> I'm sick of that because it's not black and white. I know we both use that term, uh, that saying before. And, you know, you could apply that to anything that's free broadcast television, free newspapers, right. uh, websites. You know, if it's free, you could say, oh, well, if you're not, you're not paying for it, then, you know, well, you're. And in a very real sense, it's very accurate. The most important takeaway from this discussion, though, is that it's not new. Right, it's not new, but it's. I don't think it's accurate either because well, I think just say, classifying everything that a company interacts with as must be the uh, must be the customer or the product, I think is wrong because I think a user of a service is they both want to please that user to get that user to use their service more to stick with their service to you know do whatever they do with the service, and at the same time they have other com other companies they deal with which are advertisers and they want to do the same with them so they're not just treating you completely as a product they're treating they in many ways social media networks and websites and newspapers and tv shows do treat you as the customer but they also have another customer and their money happens to come from one customer but they their audience comes from the other and they need to have both the audience and the advertiser an order, you know, the advertisers right. themselves, they could have an advertiser say, we'll pay you a million dollars per user. And if they have zero users, you earn zero you know, money. Right. But, but both. I, I'm still going to claim that, that to, I mean, again, absolutely. There are no black and whites. There are no absolutes in general. That's one of my pet peeves of life. But when, even if we talk about, let's even precede television, let's go back to like the golden age of radio. Right. The radio stations made money by selling ads. Mm -hmm. So they got their money from advertisers. Advertisers came to them 
because the radio stations, not because the radio stations had programs or programming, it's because the radio stations had listeners. They had an audience, an audience who would hear those ads. So in that very real sense, even a hundred years ago, the audience was the product that was being delivered to the advertisers. Um, yes, you want to do things to get a bigger audience, but it's because not out of some altruism, it's because you want higher ratings, you want more listeners so you can charge your advertisers more so you can make more money. It's all about developing a product, an audience that is worth money to your advertisers. And, well, <clears throat> I mean, like I said, there, I'm sure there's gray, gray edges on the fringe, but when you think about it, ultimately, be it radio, be it TV, heck, be it newspapers, right? Now, newspapers, you could probably make an argument that a lot of them have an altruistic aspect in that they're actually trying to deliver news, right? They're trying to inform a country or, or a community about what's going on in the neighborhood. But the fact is that they still have ads, unless they're a subscription model, they still have ads. And those ads only work because the newspaper has an audience that they can deliver to the advertiser. So let's, let's uh, do an experiment. Let's say that Facebook got rid of the advertisers. Right. Now, the only way they could do that, that makes sense, is if they started charging people for the service. Yes. So let's say Facebook, let's say Mark Zuckerberg just had just a sudden vision and he decided to change the business completely. <laughs> And he said, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're, everybody's going to cost five bucks a month, and there's going to be no advertising anymore. Right. Now, you can't say that the advertisers are the customers anymore because there are no advertisers. There's right. only one other entity Facebook deals with, and it's individual people. Now, in that case, does Facebook change its behavior? You could say, well, sure. I mean, if people are paying money, then... Facebook doesn't care how much time you spend there. Matter of fact, a perfect customer would be somebody who pays five bucks a month and never even never logs on. It. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but that's not a perfect customer because that is a customer that's probably likely to get their look at their credit card statement and say, oh, hey, I don't need this anymore. So Facebook wants to keep engagement. They want to keep people seeing Facebook as a valuable service so they feel good about paying that $5 a month and they keep the $5 a month coming in, which I believe then causes Facebook to behave almost exactly the same as it does now. There'll obviously be slight differences, but I don't see a major change. I see Facebook wanting to make sure that you can't live without your 10 times a day checking Facebook or posting your picture of your lunch or whatever it is. You know, Make sure that everybody does that so they keep their $5 a month subscriptions. So you, there's a, a couple of interesting directions you could head off here. One is the model's the same. It's still a product and... Um, um, you know, purchaser, buyer, whatever you want to call it, except that um, it's Facebook now who is the customer and we remain the product. Uh, <laughs> well, right. you could say that about anything you pay money for then. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Of course. Okay. Of course. Um, but uh, the other thing that Facebook, and one of the reasons that they might, for example, want to continue to behave exactly the same way is that they want to increase engagement, not necessarily increase an individual's engagement, but increase the number of individuals who have subscribed to their service. And how do they do that? By making it the thing that everybody engages with. 
Right. But I mean, the goal is the same. I mean, they still want to increase the number of individuals now and they want to increase how much time you spend now and they would want to do the same if you paid. Right. So I, I, I would say that, I mean, you could look at it as, you know, the, you still are the product, but as far as I'm concerned, it's a clear cut case. If, if the only, if, if the company makes something, Facebook, and they sell it and the only transaction is you buying that product, that service in this case, then you're definitely the customer. And so if that case, you're definitely the customer, but Facebook behaves the same as the advertiser model now, then you could say that, okay, you're the product, not the customer, but it doesn't mean anything. You know, what's, so what's the difference? So if you were the customer, Facebook's going to still do all this algorithm stuff. They're still going to want to try to engage you as much as possible, keep you on the service, all of that. Uh, so what difference does it make? Why, why even worry about that metaphor of figuring out cut who's the customer, who's the product? It doesn't change anything. So the only, the only other aspect of this that I can, that's coming to mind right now, um, is the amount of control, uh, explicit or implicit, that advertisers have over what shows up on your timeline. Yeah, yeah. In other it words, would... they, their desires, mm-hmm. however that's expressed, are uh, driving Facebook's algorithm as much as our own engagement is. And their ability to put things in our timeline, which would go away in a subscription yes. model, uh, I think uh, would, I mean, if, if, if the, under today's model, under an advertiser-driven yeah. model, if all the advertisers said, you know what? No, we are walking away because Facebook is doing X. Yeah. Facebook would stop doing X. Whereas if it were a subscription model, I'm not so sure. I mean, the, the, the difference would be, it would be more driven, I suppose, by the individual. So like individuals are saying, you know what? Facebook is doing X. We're all cutting our subscription. Right. Well, um, the, so you have the same, you have the same thing there. Uh, the, there's the a the lot of advertisers. Of con- the locus of control is changing. Right? It, it is. And there's no doubt about it that the subscription model would be a far better environment to be in. Right. But you, it still would have its problems because you would still see things that, you know, it would still influence yes. your mind. Yes. Somebody would post something political or extremist or something like that, and you would might still get shown that because Facebook knows you'll get a reaction um, to you know to that, and it, you know, so you'd still have the problems. As a matter of fact, a lot of the problems now aren't caused by advertisements. You know, they're caused by the things that but, other people, the people that you have chosen to follow, right, post. Right. And, and, uh, and a separate problem was this, this actually wasn't addressed in the documentary. And I think it would have been very interesting had they, uh, fake accounts. Um, yes. You know, well, yeah, orga- that's, yeah. So, uh, organizations intentionally looking like individuals, um, in order to drive some kind of an agenda, whatever right. that agenda might be. And that doesn't, yeah, it's not advertisers doing that. Although that is it, not it, advertisers. It, it, that, is, it is advertisers on the one hand, and then, but there's non-advertisers, fake accounts or, right. uh, you know, friends unknowingly forwarding the stuff on, which right. actually brings us to my next thing. Go ahead. Which was, they, they spent a little time talking about an interesting thing, uh, the genocide in uh, Myanmar. 
right? They, okay. they showed, it was one of the few times they actually showed some inf uh, specific information instead of a vague dramatization about how basically uh, a large part of the population was radicalized through Facebook in particular um, to spread misinformation and led to civil unrest with lots of people dead in Miramar. And uh, I thought, well, that, that's one thing that I can't kind of say anything bad about because obviously that needs to be, you know, that's a bad thing about social media. But it also occurred to me that, oh, wait a minute, it, this isn't the first civil war, revolution, genocide kind of thing that's happened in the world. Certainly it's happened before social media. It's happened before media in general at all, you know, before TV and radio. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's just the case w where whenever there's going to be something like that, it's going to use the easiest method to spread the propaganda. So the only takeaway I had that I think is really valid from that is right now, social media is the easiest way to spread propaganda. And whereas before it would have been news or TV or radio or, it or is, pamphlets or. It is interesting. And I think um, in terms of, I think the, the other component of it being easy mm -hmm. is that it is so fast. Um, it's easy. It's fast. So and it's the cheap, question, right? Anybody, anybody can do it, right? Yeah. So the question is, is like, what would, if there was no Facebook, <clears throat> would there not have been civil unrest in Miramar? And you know, I don't know enough about the particular situation to be able to say whether or not, um, since Facebook was the easiest way to spread that information, that it also probably it means it probably was the best way. And maybe if it had to spread some other way, it wouldn't have been as bad, but maybe it still would have happened. Uh, I'm not sure, but the one thing that did get me was, oh, you know, the message here shouldn't be that this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Facebook. It's that it would have happened differently or maybe less and possibly not at all, but um, you can't say definitively right. not at all. Of course, of course. Yeah, the, the, the whole concept of, of what they used to call yellow journalism um, is absolutely uh, you know, predates technology, right? Oh, sure. um, I, I know that back in the, again, in the early 1900s, newspapers were, were frequently uh, tagged or accused of presenting a completely slanted view of whatever was happening in the world at that particular time. Mm -hmm. um, a, and of course, that's not changed. But uh, the, the, the fact is that social media is, is, enabling that same kind of slanted information flow just for anybody you don't have to be a newspaper anymore you don't have to have this yeah. this this um uh, you know publishing and distribution work you just sort of you post your thing and if enough people interact with it then all of a sudden your idea takes mm -hmm. off and yeah, I, potentially even magnifies yeah I, and i've read a lot uh you know american history and I know one of the things that was happening in the 18th century, there were a lot of revolutions and a lot of civil unrest in the 18th century worldwide, um, including the American Revolution. And one of the things that happened is, you know, the printing press had been invented before that, but it became much cheaper and easier to have one to the point where, yes. you know, a town would have, might have several printing presses and printers right. you can go to. And this idea of pamphlets 
came up, right? Pamphleting. So, yes. it, yeah, if you go and like study like the American Revolution, you'll, and, you know, seriously, you're going to end up reading lots of old pamphlets. <laughs> and what would happen is that somebody would have a point of view that they wanted to get across. Um, they would write something up. They'd go to their local print shop. Print shop would print up these pamphlets and they distribute them. And it worked surprisingly a lot like social media does today, not with a lot of back and forth, not as easy. But it, easy compared to how it was for previous generations. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So you definitely have, and these pamphlets, they were in general like things with here's my opinion, here's the logic behind it, and all my reasoning and all of that. Please read it, and I hope you agree. And of course, you're trying to persuade somebody using those. So there's a lot of persuasion being used in those pamphlets. Um, right. So you're anyway, also it's cherry not picking new. your data, right? You're cherry picking the facts that you would present in that pamphlet and presenting it in the way that was most um, uh, appropriate or, or oh, positive sure. for your cause. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, there was a talk about uh, Miramar. And of course, the thing that it came up um, also with that is like, all right, let's say things were made worse because it was social media that spread the information rather than, you know, having to go to an older method. Well, what was the alternative? Like you could go and say, well, if there wasn't Facebook, then things could have been better. Well, what was the alternative there to there not being Facebook? I mean, is the suggestion that we shouldn't allow social media? Is the suggestion that there shouldn't be a way to directly communicate with other people? I mean, like what, you can't just go and say, if it wasn't for Facebook, it's like, well, wasn't for Facebook, what? What sort of world are you talking about? Like where it just wasn't invented or it's not allowed or there's some fundamental difference in technology that you can't have cell phones. I mean, it's not as, it's not, it's easy to say, what if there was no Facebook, then people would still be alive. But you yeah. have to, yeah, you I, have I to look pa past that and say, is, is there a, a reality that you can conceive of where there wasn't Facebook? <laughs> you know, well, certainly there are plenty of realities where there's no Facebook. The problem is that there, all of those realities probably have something else. Well, yeah, that's what I'm we, saying. Not we Facebook don't know what that something else a is. Facebook. Yep, we yeah. don't know what what that something else is. We don't know how it would have impacted, um, you know, the situation there. Um, yeah. But as you said, it things could have happened exactly the same. Things could have happened faster and been worse. Things could have happened slower and maybe not been as bad. We just don't know. But there, chances are, if, if, those, if those underlying issues are there, whatever the technology of the day is, it's going to get used. Mm -hmm. And it's probably going to get used to amplify uh, people's message. And I think that, yes, we're seeing a lot of that happening for, um, you know, for things that are causing problems, but we're also seeing it happen for, well, things that aren't, you know. Uh, the, it, one of the, the frustrating parts of watching the documentary is that it's like, um, I forget, it's, it's about an hour and a half. Uh, it's about 90 minutes mm -hmm. long. Yeah. And it's like, okay, here's five minutes of why social media actually is a good thing. Right? Yeah. Some, some really neat things that, that are enabled by social media. And now let's spend the rest of our hour and a half just tearing it to pieces. Um, you know, so I think that there's a, there's a certain amount of balance that was not uh, achieved in the documentary as a whole. And as, as I say, it's very possible that 
social media of some other sort could have perhaps maybe completely avoided something or Facebook used a different way or Facebook used by different people on the ground who were, um, um, I don't know, more, more astute as to its, its potential for information distribution. Uh, yeah. How do you it, prove the absence of an event? I mean, yeah. How do you prove the absence of a genocide? How do you prove it? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, you wouldn't, you know, you, know, you could go and say, well, in, uh, in, I don't know, Peru, there was no civil war or something like that right. because of it is, what do you mean? Of course yeah. there wasn't. Well, yep. maybe there would have been if there wasn't social media. So one of the things you and I are doing actually um, is one of those things that actually annoyed me about a specific scene okay. in the documentary. And that is there was some kind of a, uh, a panel discussion. Uh, I think it was about halfway through. Some kind of a panel discussion where somebody was saying to an audience that, you know, this and this is bad. You know, this, is, this and this is, you know, about social media is bad. This is why it's bad. This is horrible. We should stop doing this. And then um, an older gentleman next to him says, no, this is nothing new, right? Like you and I have been mm, saying, mm -hmm. this is nothing new. And I, maybe I'm overly sensitive, but that was the only older gentleman in the show. And his position, the position that you and I actually are uh, repeating several times here, uh, was dismissed. It was like, no, that's not true. Uh, where in fact, of course it is. Somebody made the, the observation that, uh, when the bicycle was introduced, it did not change society. Yes, that was at the beginning, yeah. It did change society. It absolutely changed society because all of a sudden the distance that individuals could travel in a day increased dramatically. I can tell you there are countries that, are, that became different mm -hmm. because of the bicycle. Every technology that gets introduced changes the society in which it, in which it exists, or every technology that is um, sufficiently adopted, I'll say, sufficiently distributed and adopted. And certainly bicycles fall in that category, and so does social media. Um, you know, it changes society for some aspect. And, it's, it's, and yet, like I said, we keep saying that in a lot of ways, the perspective that, that we're bringing is that you know, this is really nothing new. The kinds of things that are happening here, they've happened before. Um, I think the real question that would, that would be useful to consider with that perspective, and I don't have the answer for this, is for those things that we've seen before, be it yellow journalism, uh, be it pamphlets, be it, uh, you know, bicycles that change society, what can we learn from those events that would allow us to handle these events better. It's what I see a lot of people not paying attention to. They're not paying attention to history. They're paying attention to this as if it were a brand new one-off event that needs to be corrected. Well, that's listening to that guy, like you were just saying, yep. that's where that would have been constructive instead of dismissing him saying, no, this is totally different. This is far worse. It's never happened before. You know, listen to the person that said, yeah, this has happened before and maybe ask, well, how did that not destroy the world? You know, what things happened and right. maybe we can learn from that. Right. Um, maybe we're seeing some of that already because uh, one of my one of the things I take took away from the movie thinking was that this 
social media is powerful and it's inevitable and it's unstoppable. It's growing. It's going to take over everything and destroy us. And then I said, well, wait a minute. Didn't I just read that Facebook traffic is like down over the last few years? And so I looked it up to make sure I was right. And yes, Facebook traffic peaked in 2017 or use, use Facebook use peaked in 2017. And it's gone down since then. Now, 2020 is a weird year. Who knows what yeah. you know, we're going to see in terms of numbers. But, but it, what, it, Facebook use did seem to peak and be going slightly down, probably because a lot of people have moved on to other net, you know, things that aren't Facebook. I mean, that are definitely not like competitors to Facebook, like TikTok, Snapchat, and Instagram are not competitors to Facebook. They don't do the same kinds of things. But it did make me remember, oh, yeah, that's right. They're, they're here saying the big man monster the big bad monster is out to get us. It's coming. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Oh, by the way, the big bad monster is getting old and kind of limping now. And, you know, it's not oh. really as much of a threat. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know. I just thought, you know, they could have mentioned that. To, well, that- to, to the extent that Facebook is what they were talking about, you're absolutely right. But if you actually take a look at the discussion being about the bigger level of being social media tools in general... Yeah. The fact that some audience is moving en masse, say, to TikTok, Mm -hmm. you know what that means, right? It means that TikTok is going to start getting abused and used to do the same things that was happening on Facebook. Some of the same things. They can do some of the same things. Some of the same things. Propaganda. They will do new things, right? They will will do things that weren't possible on Facebook. They will have new um, um, unintentional side effects right? Because that's, that's one of the problems that we're always dealing with here. And actually, that is one of the things that I think that a lot of the individuals who were interviewed in uh, The Social Dilemma did a reasonable job of, of at least, I want to say paying lip service to, but I think that they honestly believe this. A lot of what happened with social media was not the intent, right? It's oh, all yeah. unanticipated, unintentional side effects of how things turned out. And I suspect that the exact same thing is going to happen with whatever new technologies we come up with, whether it's, by now, Snapchat is already old. It's like TikTok yeah. um, and whatever comes after TikTok, you know, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever the kids are doing these days, um, you know, they're always going to be unanticipated uh, societal implications that rather than thinking, how do we prevent, we can't prevent what we don't know is coming, but we can prepare and we can prepare to, um, you know, be, be nimble enough, be agile enough and be aware enough and understanding enough to act on whatever the side effect appears to be. Uh, whether that means, you know, yeah, there are topics like today, there are topics on Facebook that you can't talk about, period. Uh, some of those are, I'll just say, legitimate. That, yep, you know, having a forum for that topic is not a good idea. That should not happen. And on the other hand, there are, there is collateral damage, right? There are, there are folks that can't talk about very legitimate things because of, you know, this, this global concern that, well, you know, talking about that is too much like talking about this and this, you know, doesn't, the, the, um, the canonical example is breast cancer, right? Um, mm. You can't, uh, I, and I don't know where Facebook is on this today, and I'm not even going to say this is a Facebook thing, but there definitely have been periods of time where um, the word breast was not something you could use, which actually made it very difficult for uh, breast cancer survivor groups to have discussions. 
right? Um, mm-hmm. And there's legitimate reasons for potentially not doing that, for not for not allowing those discussions. But it required way more intelligence than the kind of rule that they were applying at the time. And I think that same kind of thing is true today. Even like right now, as we sit here two weeks before the uh, the U.S. national election. Um, uh, uh, social media, I think both Facebook and uh, Twitter have come under fire for blocking posts from a, uh, from the New York post. Right? Yeah. And I don't know where I sit on that. Right. I mean, on one hand, it's a news organization. On the other hand, it's not a very reputable news organization. On one hand, it's a topic that seems to be thoroughly debunked, but does that mean that they shouldn't be able to, it gets really, really complicated really quick. And that's where we really need to develop our understanding, our resources, our, our ability to, to think deeply and hard. And, you know, the bottom line is we'll never, ever get agreement on that kind of stuff. Yep. Actually, I, I think the, the way this movie ends um, is one of the best parts of the movie but also disturbed me because it's at the end because they put it over the ending credits. Uh, did you watch the ending credits? I did. Okay. So the ending credits come up and the, uh, all the people they interviewed. Oh, and by the way, the people they interviewed, they, inter- they introduced the movie saying, Oh, the people we interview are going to be people that actually worked and built these social media networks. Right. Right. And they are, except they throw in a couple of activists, uh, who give some of the best interviews who didn't work for those companies. So it's right. kind of like, you know, I don't know, just, it didn't feel like it was that honest with that. But anyway, they had all these experts on talking about things. And then they had the experts at the end, basically give the suggestions as to what you can do. And most of the suggestions are, Oh, just use social media less, make sure that you, you know, uh, budget your screen time and make sure you, you know, re- you know, remember to go outside, that kind of thing. It was all good advice. And it really, kind of dampen down the the alarmist part of the movie you know to be to be like oh it's not that bad here's a couple simple things you could do and you'll be all right but they put it over the ending credits and of course what bugged me about that is a lot of people don't watch the credits right, right. The, you know oh credits are on turn it off and now right. you don't hear the oh everything will be fine just don't use social media as much Even it'll be the, good the most vocal um anti-social media guy mm-hmm. i don't remember his name but he was the one with the uh beard and very long hair. Yeah. Um, he seemed to have, you know, some practical tips on what to do. Exactly. The, the problem with that though, um, mm. is that again, I'm going to sound like a broken record. The practical tips are nothing new. Yeah. They're right? not. They, right. they are things that you and I and other people have been advocating for years. And the problem is there's a strong argument. I'm not saying I agree with it, but there's a strong argument that says these practical tips aren't working because people don't have the self-control. They don't have the, um, the, you know, they're not willing to take the responsibility for uh, managing their social media intake because it hits their dopamine center so hard every time they, 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 um, they sign in. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it's, it's almost an addiction for too many people. So while I absolutely agree and do did actually, you're right. I appreciated those, those comments over the credits. Um, I, I am concerned that it's not enough. Now, um, I did want to make a comment about the, um, about the people because one of the things, um, having worked at a quote-unquote large corporation for many years, one of the things that I suspect, I can't even 
point to this. So maybe I'm, I'm actually playing the same game that social media is. Uh, very often, the individuals that are the most outspoken after leaving a company are the folks who left under less mm. than less than ideal circumstances. I don't even want to say that there's anything nefarious, right? It's just that, you know, these are people that maybe ended up not believing in the company or not, not sure. really buying into it or, or maybe even having problems specifically. I mean, they left the company for a reason. And now that they've left the company, they're free to talk about it. But because they left the company, you know, they're the, 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 the statistical representation of their opinion might be slightly skewed to one end of a bell curve, whereas people within the company might have a slightly different opinion and different view. And I, one thing you did notice is that I don't think there were any people actively currently working at those companies that were uh, interviewed. Do you know? Yeah, uh, no, they were all uh, former because, of course, well, NDAs and yeah. other things would prevent yeah. you from talking. So, yeah. so the just by that observation alone, you have to understand that you're probably getting a slightly off-center representation of opinions. Yeah. Um, so, so the um, let's see. So, yeah, using social media less. The the big takeaway for me was that it seemed that most of these individuals who were interviewed all came down on regulation as the solution. Hmm. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah. There are some interesting arguments for it. Um, I know that from a corporate perspective, sometimes you want regulation so that it's not your fault, right? So you, mm. these, these are rules that you would love to follow, but because you would be the one making the decision to follow them, you don't because there would be too much fallout. Whereas if you are told you must follow them, then you're more than happy to. The other side of that coin though is of course, that puts you then at the mercy of politicians and regulators and who knows what their agendas might be and how those might color the eventual regulations that come out. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, it's, it's a two-sided thing with regulation. But I, uh, it just seemed like the people at the end, those those parts of the interviews where they were asked like, "What what can you do?" It, the alarmist kind of demeanor kind of faded away really quickly. Right, and they were all like, "Oh, it's all it's not that bad." Um, well, you know that the show, like I said, the show was edited and to the yeah, show had an agenda. Yep. Right. It did. And its and, agenda was yeah. not to present a balanced view of social media today. Yep. Its agenda was to basically get people's attention, get people watching it, um, and essentially maybe get people alarmed. Uh, they would claim that they wanted more people to be aware of what's going on. And, and I can't fault them for that. Uh, but when you're watching a, a, a documentary like this, uh, you have to understand that there is an agenda. And if you watch it with that agenda in mind, then you can perhaps make slightly more uh, objective uh, decisions or form your own slightly more objective opinions based on the information that's presented as well as all the other information that's out there on this same topic, including some of what we've discussed here for the last hour. Yep. I, my hope for something like this would be that the movie will create some actions 
but not overreactions. Right. And actions that you know could happen would be simply uh, simple things like you know Facebook already feels pressure to not be evil, and it's important that pressure be kept up. You know, and it's movies like this or people speaking out or whatever you know, helps keep up that pressure. And it's important, especially when you're dealing with a corporation where it's not just one individual, you know, it's a, it's, there's a board of directors, there's stockholders, there's lots of VPs and all that stuff. Um, it, it's, you know, having pressure pushing a company to do the right thing is good as long as it doesn't push them so far that uh, there are unintended consequences. So maybe just being, you know, more, you know, mindful of like, well, maybe we should have, Maybe maybe we should worry about people spending too much time on Facebook, or maybe we should worry about groups trying to radicalize people using Facebook. Things like that. I, that I would think it's good for them to think about that and to and to and they do do. I mean, they talk all the time about things that they're doing to they do, combat the, that. The problem so, is, and it's something we haven't touched on in this in so far, and that is that ultimately, what is driving Facebook? They're a corporation. They have a corporate responsibility to provide value to their shareholders, which basically means their responsibility is to make money. Much of the maybe we shouldn't, you know, maybe it would be better for society if we did X is in direct opposition to the let's make more money for our shareholders thing. It, it could That's be. why yeah. I suspect that something like an external force i.e. regulation, of some form might be required to, um, to, to bring things under control. Or simply the threat yes. of yes, regulation, yes. which is something that a movie like this certainly adds to that threat. Yes. And that is what I'm, what I'm talking about, really, when it, when it comes to pressure. Like the uh, Motion Picture Association of America, you know, the threat of regulation is what formed their rating system and the rating right. system for video games and stuff. And it's a great, you know, both uh, industries have a great system now um, for, you know, labeling things that's not regulated. It's not a government thing, but right. they only would have had, they only came up, uh, got those because of, the threat, the pressure. And part of that was, you know, people seeing movies like this saying, oh my God, we have to do something. The government saying, maybe we should do something. And then the company saying, oh, hold on, hold on. We'll be good. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do to be yep. good, right? And and there are tons of, organi- you know, there's privacy um, things and, uh, you know, different things the industry has done, pledges that companies sign on to and such. Um, you know, d- data pledges and privacy things and security things and all that, you know, that the industry does. And, you know, it, it doesn't really, it, actually, it is better if the industries do it themselves to the point where the right, the ones that want to regulate are appeased. You know, if the ones that want to regulate say, okay, we don't need to regulate you at the moment because you seem to have things under control. But we're and watching. That's a, yeah. that's a great, that's a great way to do it. And, Anyway, so I think we've 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 thoroughly thoroughly discussed this well, movie. It's, it's bizarre because in some ways we have, and in some ways we could go on for another hour. There's oh so sure, much, there's it's so a big, much well, to it's this a big topic. Yeah, um, I would. Uh, one of the the things that I went into wondering, and I can certainly say now after having watched it and having discussed it with you, is that um, yeah, people should watch it. 
it is something that's worth watching. My original statement uh, about not necessarily learning anything um, and feeling like things might be somewhat overblown uh, was accurate, <laughs> right? Yes. Okay. I didn't really learn anything about the technologies or what's going on that I really didn't already either know or suspect. But um, it is an interesting uh, documentary. I do think that uh, everyone who watches it does need to uh, keep uh, uh, go into it with this objective skepticism, understanding that there's an uh, an agenda. But there's some really interesting issues here that need to be uh, need to be exposed, need to be thought about, and uh, need to be hopefully accounted for in whatever happens to our society next. Exactly. So, on that note, mm. ain't it cool? What'd you come up with? Uh, let's see. I am playing a game now. It's the first actual Apple Arcade game that I've gotten addicted to, but it's available on other systems as well, like Nintendo Switch and I think Steam and other things. It's called The Survivalists. And it is a, basically it's a adventure game, a 2D map. You're a castaway on a set of uh, islands somewhere in the middle of the ocean. And you wander around the islands trying to, just, you know, find things that can help you survive and escape the island and it's a crafting game so as you explore the islands that you're on uh you maybe you know build things you build yourself a hut you build yourself a bed you build yourself a work table that then you could use to build other things like tools and stuff like that and it's fun you even befriend these little monkeys that are on the island and you could teach them to do things which is an interesting take on the crafting game because typically with crafting games you know you 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 go through all this effort to build things to build other things which then you could use to build even more things and finally get something really cool out of it and if you want another one you have to do it again (laughs) but you can train the monkeys to do things for you so you could say oh instead of me picking up all of these coconuts let me just show this monkey how to do it and he'll pick up all the coconuts and then you know, you can kind of set little automatic processes where one monkey picks up coconuts, delivers them to the work table, and another monkey actually creates something from the coconuts. And then a third monkey puts them away in a little chest you made. And then you let them go, and automatically they create like hundreds of these little things for oh, you. Sounds like it's monkey a, abuse to me. But yeah. <laughs> it's a fun <laughs> game with a with a strong exploration con, uh, uh, you know, part to it. So you're exploring these islands and discovering, you know, little stories and little things that are going on. Uh, on these islands as you do the crafting. So anyway, fun game if you have Apple Arcade or whatever other platform you can find the survivalists on. Very cool. Sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to mention the Armchair Expert podcast. Um, it's by Dax Shepard. It's uh, typically an hour and a half uh, once a week, and he interviews some really interesting people. Uh, I had not been, li- it's been around for a while. I hadn't been listening to it for some time. But then he interviewed Bill Gates. So, of course, I had to listen to that. And I had a couple of interesting takeaways. One is that Dax is actually a really good interviewer. He is, I would almost say, a natural at talking to people, at being real, at you know, having a fun time with them. Uh, even in the pandemic, normally they, uh, they have their conversation apparently in a loft somewhere, but he's, of course, been doing it all via Zoom these days. Uh, and uh, the episode that I listened to was uh, with Bill Gates, who uh, not a lot of people un- will understand this, but uh, Bill has become an incredibly good and engaging 
speaker one-on-one. Mm-hmm. He was a great interview. Um, and that is a dramatic change from the Bill Gates that was running Microsoft back in the day when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really become uh, significantly more comfortable in his skin. And they did it. They really had a good interview. It was a great talk. So I recommend that. Um, I'm actually going to, in the show notes, we'll be linking directly to the Bill Gates podcast. It was uh, recorded in August, I think it was. And, uh, but of course, the entire um, Armchair Expert podcast is, is very much of interest. I ended up listening to another episode uh, while I was donating platelets today, actually, with um, Chelsea Handler. Again, great um, you know, great discussion, uh, just a, a good time. The one thing I will warn listeners of is that uh, like so much of the internet, uh, there will be language. Um, it's just, you know, people being people and people use um, words that for various reasons we choose not to use on this podcast, but um, I often consider a programmer's a second language. So mm. Mm. Um, in terms of self-promotion, since we are the sponsors of this podcast, mm. um, I wanted to mention instead of something Ask Leo related, not all news is bad, especially as we ramp up to the election uh, and maybe in uh Uh, reaction to much of what has been going on on social media. About four years ago, I think it was, I started picking out just a good news story uh, that I would run across for myself. It was for my own mental health, actually, and wanted to remind myself that, in fact, there was good news. There are good people. There are good things happening every single day. So every single day I would uh, find one, and i just share it on Facebook with the hashtag, not all news is bad. Uh, as it turned out, notallnewsisbad.com was available, so the daily email was born. Uh, there's a website, notallnewsisbad.com, and every day when you sign up for that email, you will get a link to a news story sourced somewhere out on the internet. Um, there's no shortage. The hardest part I have actually is picking a good, picking which of several good news stories to share every day. So if you're looking for a little bit of, um, as I as I call it, an antidote to everything else, notallnewsisbad.com. Cool. Well, uh, let's see. I've got a video this week on um, using iMovie on your iPhone. Uh, a lot of Mac users forget that you know stuff like iMovie is also available on the iPhone. But it works very differently. And so I do a like how to just the basics of using iMovie on your iPhone in five minutes, which is really important if you uh, want to edit something while on the go, you know, instead of shooting video with your iPhone and waiting until you get in front of your Mac or PC right. to edit it, you could just do the editing on your iPhone and then post it somewhere, uh, you know, with nothing but your phone. So anyway, that's a video I'll push this week. Very cool. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, that was a meaty episode. The yeah. show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh115. That's 115. If you've got a comment or a question, you can find us, ironically, I suppose, on Facebook and Twitter, basically <laughs> all the socials, uh, at the TEH Podcast. And of course, you can leave a comment on the show notes page. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we will see you here again next week. Bye-bye. Bye.